0: Do you have your Bibles? Uh, please turn me to Psalm 28. Psalm 28. Let me just also quickly just uh, send publicly again my thanks to Clinton for stepping in last minute uh, last week. Um, and thank you so much also to everyone who just sent messages and cared and supported. Uh, and it was such an encouragement to me last week. I really do appreciate and be really thankful for uh, just the care that uh, both Bar and myself received while we were. While I was down and out uh, feeling fraught and whatnot. As most of you know, Clinton started a sermon series and finished it uh, before and during lo- lockdown in second first Samuel, and we just thought it appropriate to carry on where he left off, and so he's passed the buck on to me. Uh, thank you, Clinton. Um, and, and so this morning we're going to start by looking at Psalm 28. and you might be thinking why Psalm 28? Well, there's two reasons uh, for that. Firstly, uh, 2 Samuel is all about the life of David. Uh, 1 Samuel starts with the life of Samuel and then the relationship between Saul and David. Um, and that differs in this particular letter. Uh they're out of the picture and the focus now is primarily on David, his life, his kingship, his, his relationships, his victories, his failures, his trials, his recovery, and ultimately about his God. And so because 2 Samuel revolves around David, we would do well to consider this psalm, as with many of the psalms, that give us a, a window into his heart, a heart that is inclined to God. Yes, a fallen a heart, a fallen, sinful man, yet a man nonetheless who is a man after God's own heart, and therefore we ought to learn from him. But the second reason to start with Psalm Twenty Eight is Psalm Twenty Eight cons- uh, contains some of the central themes of Second, First, and Second Samuel. Remember, First and Second Samuel are actually one book, and, and both. Both ends of the book end in particular prayers. Hannah's prayer in chapter 2 and David's prayer in chapter 22. And both prayers beautifully complement one another. Hannah's prayer ends with this expression of her faith that the Lord will strengthen his king, his anointed. Well, in David's prayer as the king, as the Lord's anointed, he expresses his faith in the God who has strengthened him. And both prayers, therefore, reflect a deep faith in the Lord, a firm confidence in who He is and what He's able of, capable of doing, particularly for those who walk humbly before Him in faithfulness. see, the God of Hannah and David's prayer is a God who is a personal Savior of His people. He listens. He cares. He's a God who helps the humble who lifts them up but brings down and destroys the proud and the wicked. He's a God who, who cares for his anointed king, who he has placed over his people. See, the prayers of Hannah and David remind us that First and Second Samuel aren't really about Samuel and David and Saul. No, it's actually about the one true living God who throughout the trials of his people remains their rock and their refuge. And beloved, that's the message of Psalm 28. That's why I've entitled this morning's message, My Lord, My Rock, My Strength. Because David in his longing turns to his God for help and strength. And so with that in mind, let's turn to our passage and I'll read the whole psalm and then pray again for us. This is God's word here in Psalm 28. To you, O Lord, I call, my rock, be not deaf to me, Lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of His hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord. For he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I'm helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage be their shepherd, and carry them forever. Only so far in the reading of God's Word may He reform our lives to its truth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the Psalms you say that the unfolding of your Word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. And dear Lord, as we open up the psalm, As we try to unfold it, we ask that you would, in fact, give light, that you give us understanding this morning. But we also pray, dear Lord, that we would come this morning as those who are simple, as those who recognize their need. Recognizing that in and of ourselves we are in the dark, we have no wisdom, no might, no strength. And so we turn to you for help. We turn to you for light and understanding. But we know that we've sat in services so many times. We've heard so many sermons. We can perhaps boast in our understanding. Yet, dear Lord, you say you give light and understanding to the simple. And so help us this morning, dear Lord, to be humble, to come humbly to your word. And to be taught by it. Help me in my weakness, dear Lord. I'm just reminded again this past week of my utter depend, how utterly I depend upon you. And dear Lord, how utterly we need you in this. And so help us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let me ask you a difficult question, one that I've been bothered by. How often do you depend on the Lord? In your day-to-day living, how often do you legitimately and sincerely depend on Him? How long can you go? How often do you have a sense of your absolute need for God to, to keep you and sustain you? How often do you turn through God, to God through His Word in prayer for guidance and help? How often do you depend upon the Lord? Or perhaps I need to ask that question a little bit differently. How long can you go without depending on God? How long can you go without giving God any thought? How long can you go without looking to Him for help and strength and guidance? If we're honest with ourselves, all too easily we can go days, weeks, months. Without giving God any thought without seeking him in his word in prayer without being bothered that our life is lived in our own strength realize this is the problem that we see throughout Samuel whether it's the sons of Eli and sons of Samuel who are worthless men who treat God with contempt whether it's Saul, the first king of Israel, who, who fails to listen to God and who walks in disobedience. Or whether it's David himself, who, who subtly disregards God's word to the point where he despises God's law and commits serious sin. Seeing multiple examples, again and again, God is disregarded. His word disdained, his works ignored, his people living independently from him. And this is the problem that David fears in this particular psalm. In verse 1 and 9, David offers two prayers and both reveal a desperation for God, that God would be present. In verse 1, he prays that he would be safe from becoming like the wicked, of being counted with the wicked, of being discarded like them because they've discarded God and they've been thrown into the pit of Sheol, away from God, away from His presence, away from His care. That's why he he says in verse 2, I lift my hands toward your most holy sanctuary." He's saying that in desperation, longing for God, And in verse 9, the same concern is evident. He prays not just for himself, but for the people that they too would be saved. That they would enjoy God's loving presence, His shepherding presence. See, the thing that bothers David is the thought that God could be absent. That God could be silent in his life. And that God's people could live lives without their Lord. That's what bothers David about the wicked in verse 5. They are those who simply disregard God, who live indifferently to Him. And realize, beloved, this is the problem that we see in Samuel, in this particular psalm, and it's a problem we ought to often see in our lives. It's so easy for us in the thick of life, in the challenges of our world, to to live life separated from God, self-sufficient, self-willed, to live in such a way that, that God is not involved, not, not really. God isn't looked to, He isn't dependent upon, He isn't sought in prayer, He isn't gui- He isn't guiding us through His Word. So it's easy for us to live independently from God where no thought is given to God. Tell me, is this something that bothers you? Is this something that you struggle with? It's something I was even convicted with in my prep, and maybe that's why I was manned down last Saturday. I realized I jumped into my sermon prep without actually sincerely, deeply praying. It's so easy for us to do this in in so many ways. In the challenges we face that, that, that cause us to question ourselves. In the afflictions we have to endure. In the decisions we have to make. The, the delights we enjoy. The experiences we pursue. The burdens and the griefs that we carry all too often. God is absent in all of that. And see, that's why this so matters. Because because it calls upon us to depend upon the Lord our God. To turn away from ourselves and our own sufficiency and to turn to our God who, guess what? Loves. Loves to be our rock. Loves to be our strength and our refuge. See, this psalm explicitly calls upon us. To depend upon the Lord our God. And First and Second Samuel shows us practically what it looks like in the lives of real people when they depend on the Lord and when they don't. See, David's life, David's life exemplifies both. David is at his best when he depends upon God. And he's at his worst when he starts living independently of God, disregarding God's guidance in his own life. And so as we turn our attention to the psalm, I want you to see something of its structure uh, this morning that can help us actually understand this particular psalm and help explain where I'm coming from. The psalm starts with a prayer in verse 1, and that is followed by a series of petitions in verse 2 to three, 4. And all of this leads up to the problem of the wicked in verse 5 and their disregard for God. And this is followed in verse 6 to 8 by praise, which parallels the petitions. And, and look at verse 2 and 6. They, they beautifully parallel one another. And, and the psalm ultimately ends with another prayer in verse 9. And, and so you see a very clear pattern there. Prayer, petition, problem, praise, and prayer again. And, and so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at those two prayers in verse 1 and 9 together. And then secondly, consider the petition and the praise sections. And then finally conclude with verse 5. And so in the first place, let's go in sort of verse 1 and 9 together. And the thing I want you to see is the God who hears. Look at verse 1. David prays, To you, O Lord, I call. Be my rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. And then verse 9, he prays again, Oh, save your people, bless your heritage, be their shepherd, and carry them forever. See, see, both prayers reveal a, a desperation for God. David doesn't want to become like the wicked, discarded by God because they've disregarded God. See, what David fears is being left alone by God, where God has forsaken him and forgotten him. The God who has been his rock. And so he prays with with great earnest, zeal, and boldness. Lord, be not silent. Be not deaf. Hear me. Save your people. Bless. Carry them. The question to ask though is, is what gives David the boldness to pray like this? What enables him to, to boldly implore the Lord? Hear. Save. Well, he can pray that, he can pray, be deaf to me, be not deaf to me, be not silent to me, hear my pleas, because David knows who he's praying to. He's not praying to a blind, deaf, dumb, idol. No, he's praying to the living God who hears his people. A personal God who, who knows his people, who draws near to them, who hears them when they cry out to him. See, David has the firm conviction That his God is the God who hears. This is the conviction we see in the experience of all of God's people. We see this again repeatedly in 1 and 2 Samuel. In 1 Samuel 1, Hannah prays to the Lord in her desperation, and the Lord heard her and answered her prayer. In 1 Samuel 7, Israel is confronted by the Philistines, and Samuel cries out, Lord, hear, save. And the Lord hears and gives them victory. We see this even in the life of David. Remember in chapter 30 of 1 Samuel, David's family is abducted and in great distress. He he calls upon the Lord. He's looking for wisdom. He's looking for strength. And the Lord hears and guides and helps. And we will even see this in 2 Samuel chapter 2 when, when David is uncertain of himself. He inquires of the Lord again and again And the Lord hears and answers. See, what we see then in the book of Samuel is that the one true living God is a God who hears. He he listens, he is aware of his people in their distress. And what a comfort this ought to be to us. We serve a God who hears. Perhaps you're like David this morning. Perhaps you're crying out to God, God, hear me. Perhaps you're in Job 23 this morning. Job 23, there he's crying, God, wherever I turn, I do not find you. I pray and there's no relief. I read your word and it's silent. Perhaps that's you this morning. Perhaps you feel distant and away from God. Well, the comfort is this, despite what it seems, God hears He hears His people in their distress, in their discomfort, in their longing. But but perhaps we need to ask the question, who does God hear? We know God is omniscient, right? We know that that He sees all things, He knows all things. That's not what we're talking about here when we say that God hears. Now when we speak of God hearing, we're referring to to more than just His knowledge, we're referring to God showing favor. Favor that is seen him, hearing and drawing near to help his people. So, so who does God hear? How does God's awareness be, uh, be, turned, be turned into God's action? Well, the answer is this God hears the humble, God hears those who know their own helplessness and who, in desperate prayer, reach out to him. Isn't that what we see in verse 1? Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, David says, I become like those who go down to the pit. David is essentially saying, God, if you are silent, if you are separate from me, I'm dead. Without you, I'm nothing. See, David knows his helplessness, and it's because of this deep sense of his helplessness of his need, that we see later God indeed does hear him and answer him. Uh, William Plummer uh, makes a helpful comment on this. He says, it is no hindrance but a help to have a sense of our utter personal helplessness. Boasted ability does nothing, while humility, relying on infinite strength, does wonders. Why does a sense of of helplessness do wonders? Because God hears the humble, those who see that in and of themselves they are nothing, no strength, no wisdom, no might. But then in God, they are everything. In God there is strength, there is wisdom, there is might. See, God hears those who with humble and honest hearts recognize their helplessness, and they turned to him in prayer. Isn't that the testimony of Scripture? Daniel chapter 10, we see Daniel is in distress. He's dismayed, he's terrified, and God sends an angel to comfort him. And part of the comfort is this, that God hears. Look at verse 12 of Daniel 10. Fear not, Daniel for from the day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. That's why Psalm 102 17 says that he records the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. See, God hears the humble, He takes note of His people in their helplessness. Again, we see this in the beginning and end of Samuel. In Hannah's prayer, verse 8, He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ashes to make them sit with princes and and, and inherit the seat of honor. Even David 22, 28 says, You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. Dear friends, rejoice. We serve a God who hears. But He hears the humble. Is that us this morning? Do we in humility recognize our need? Do we recognize our utter helplessness before God? Can we say with David, Without you, Lord, I am dead. Or are we so self-sufficient, so proud, That we miss the God who hears. Dear beloved, if... Dear beloved of God, if we serve a God who hears, then do you know what kind of people we need to be? We need to become a people who live by prayer. A people who depend upon God in prayer, in everything. I think sometimes we fail to pray because we fail to see our great need for God. Say differently, our prayers are weak because we think ourselves often too strong. I was really convicted by this quote by a particular author. He said this, The worst sin is prayerlessness. We usually think of murder, adultery, or theft as among the worst. But the root of all sin is self-sufficiency, independence from God, And when we fail to wait prayerfully for God's guidance and strength, we are saying with our hearts, if not with our lips, that we do not need Him. How much of our service is characterized by going it alone? Dear friends, beloved of God, how much of our lives can be characterized by that? That we just go it alone. The example of Saul should terrify us. Do you remember when Saul visited the witch at Endor? And one of the things that he complained about, one of the things that he was in distress over, was the fact that God was silent. But God didn't hear him anymore. In 28 verse 15, he said, God has turned away from me and answers me no more. What a frightful reality. That God would turn his ear from us. And why did God turn his ear from Saul? Because Saul was characterized by going it alone. Was proud in his self-sufficiency. He disregarded God and just did his own thing. Beloved, may that not be true of us. Rejoice. We serve a God who hears. But let's repent of our self-sufficiency, our proudness, our going it alone. So that's the first thing I want you to see this morning the God who hears from verse 1 and 9. The second thing I want you to see this morning from verse 2 to 4 and 6 to 8 is I want you to see the God who helps. In verse 2, David prays that the Lord would not only hear but help. He says, Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off of the wicked with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. So the, the help that David wants is he wants the wicked to be condemned. He wants to be redeemed from them, to be separated from them. And he wants them to get They're just deserts. And then in verse 6, we see in some way God has answered David's prayer. He's dealt with the wicked. He has safeguarded David. He indeed has heard David's prayer. In verse 6 it says, Blessed be the Lord, for He has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts I'm helped and I'm helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to Him. The Lord is the strength of His people. He's the saving refuge of the anointed. So in light of God hearing and answering David's petitions, David offers this praise to the Lord. The Lord who has indeed been His protection, His help, His his Savior. And and, and the point to to getting this is, In these petitions, turning to praise is the fact that the God of David is a God who helps. He isn't a God who who sees and hears our troubles, but who is unable to intervene. No, He is completely sufficient. He is powerfully able to do what we cannot do in and of ourselves. Again, we see this throughout 1 and 2 Samuel. We see in 1 Samuel 7, God saves Israel from the Philistines and Samuel in response consecrates a stone. He he calls it Ebenezer saying in 7.12, till now the Lord has helped us. In chapter 11, after Saul conquers the Ammonites, he, he credits God for the victory. He says, for today the Lord has worked salvation. Even in verse uh, chapter 14, we see how the Lord was with Jonathan and how He helped him to overcome and defeat the Philistines. He even said, the Lord saved Israel today. And we'll see in Second Samuel how the Lord helps David repeatedly. In chapter 8, we see a summary of David's wars and repeatedly we are told that the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. See, the God we encounter in Samuel is no weak being. He is not this God who is somewhere remote, uninterested and uninvolved. No, he is a God who is powerfully able to help. In fact, Psalm 46.1 says, right, he is a very present help in trouble. That's why Moses could encourage Israel in in Deuteronomy 33 and 26 he says, there, there, is no, there is none like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help through the skies in His majesty. Even Psalm 33:20, 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. And in this beautiful Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. See, the God revealed to us in the Word is a God who helps His people. Again and again, we see this. In Hannah's prayer, chapter 2, 9, we are told that He guards the feet of the faithful ones. But the wicked shall be cut off from the earth, cut off in darkness, for not by night shall man prevail. Even David's prayer, he, he says, he sent from on high. He took me, he drew me out as many waters out of as many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were mighty, far too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. See, beloved, take comfort. Our God is a God who helps in our trials in our challenges, in our difficulties, in our heartache, He is able. He is sufficient. He is faithful. But again, the question is, do we turn to Him for help? Do we rely upon Him to to carry us in those difficulties? Do we trust Him to help us when we are in need? See, if God is a God who helps then we need to become a people who live by faith. A people who trust the Lord, their God. See, despite his many failures, David trusted in the Lord. And the Lord again and again and again helped David. That's what comes out in verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. And in him, my heart trusts, and I'm helped. See, this is the lesson for us. The Lord helps those who trust in Him, who, who turn away from themselves and who look to Him for strength and guidance and help. We know all these verses. Jeremiah seventeen five, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Proverbs 30, Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Psalm seventy thirty seven verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. Or listen to David, Psalm 62 verse 8. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Again, maybe you're in Job 23 this morning. What you need to be doing, beloved, is pouring out your heart before a God like this. So the point is, the Lord doesn't help those who can help themselves who are self-reliant, self-willed, self-sufficient, who give God no thought because they sense no need for Him. No, no, no. Those who recognize their need, who turn to Him for help, they are those who can say with David, my Lord, my rock, my strength. Why? Because I've trusted in you. In my need, you have been there. In my need, you have sustained me. Dear friends, dear beloved of God, why wouldn't you want to trust and depend on God like this? Why wouldn't you want to live trusting in this rock? I I, I love Psalm 62. And in Psalm 61, sorry, 61 verse 2, David again uses this metaphor as God, as this rock. And he says this, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I, I, I don't know about you, but I just love that. I, imagine you've been lost at sea. You've been shipwrecked. You're on the rocks. You're fighting for your life. you are being bombarded by wave after wave. And there you look. A rock is before you. A rock higher than you. A rock that promises security and safety. Love, that's who God is as the waves of despair and this world knock at you, as you're on the edge of being shipwrecked in your life, there is a rock that is higher than you. One who can carry you. One who can give you safety and, and, and rest. See, He hears our cries, He sees our needs, He knows our weaknesses, and He is able to help you. He's able to strengthen to protect, to, to guard. Why wouldn't we just simply trust him? Why not live lives of complete dependence on him? Realize God delights in it when we trust him as the one who hears and helps his people. Uh, I read a sermon recently by Andrew Fuller, uh, Baptist from Young's ago. And in his sermon, he makes this comment, he makes this observation, he says. Confidence is universally a medium of honor. What he meant with that is this. When you place your confidence in another, you inevitably honor that person in in your sight, in the sight of others. Why? Because you give them an opportunity to display their sufficiency, to display their trustworthiness, their ability isn't that most applicable to God? When, when we depend on Him, we honor Him. Why? Because we give Him the opportunity to display His sufficiency in our insufficiency. We, we give Him the opportunity to display His strength in our weakness, His wisdom in our uncertainty, his, his faithfulness in our lack of faithfulness. And the only question is, do we actually give Him the opportunity? Do we rely to Him? Do we look to Him to, to be that strength? Or do we again just go it alone? Remember who we're dealing with. We're dealing with the one true and living God who hears and helps His people. And if He is a God who hears, beloved, let us be a people of prayer. And if He is a God who helps, we need to become a people of faith. This leads me to the third and final thing I want you to see this morning, particularly at verse 5. Not just the God who hears and helps, but the people who don't care. In verse 5 we see that the wicked are those who have no care for God. They do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of His hands. Let's just say they are a people who face the reality of God all around them, in creation, in providence, in redemption. Yet they remain indifferent. They ignore who He is and all he's done. They give Him no thought. They simply do not care. Instead, they are carried away by their own works, their own lives, their own pursuits. They live life without God with complete disregard for Him. But Perhaps that's some of us sitting here this morning. You attend church. You've heard about the things of God. His redemption, His providential care. You care for being religious. You care for displaying and putting up appearances. Yet you care little for a relationship with the Lord. A relationship of daily dependence. See, the Bible describes this, this disregard for God, this disregard this, this for depending upon God as... As forgetfulness, which doesn't refer to a a lack of memory. No, it instead refers to a a lack of giving thought to God. For example, Deuteronomy 3.2.18, God indicts His people this way. He says, you were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. It parallels our song beautifully, doesn't it? God is the rock and refuge of those who turn to Him. Yet all too often people turn away from Him and find their refuge in this world, the delights of this world, the pleasures and the lights of this world. And unfortunately, this indictment is one that God often has against His people. We, we see this also in Samuel. 1 Samuel 7, Samuel has told uh, the nation to return to the Lord. Why? Because they turned their hearts away from God and pursued their dead idols. In chapter eight, when Israel asks for a king, we're told that they haven't rejected Samuel, but they've rejected the God as their God as their king. We see this evening in Second Samuel twenty four when despite David's being a good king, again and again, in a moment of self sufficiency, he sins and it costs the life of his people. See, the problem again and again is a disregard for God to live life without God, independent of Him, with no thought given to Him. That's the problem facing every single one of us. That's why God can indict His people this way in Isaiah 17.10. For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Dear friends, can God say that about us? Can He say to us, as He says in Jeremiah 2.33, My people have forgotten me days without number. Can can He say that about us? Can He say that about me? If we're honest with ourselves, and if I'm honest with myself, there are times when He could say that. There are times when He could say that about us. Where things go wrong, we so easily turn to our own strength, our own wisdom, our own plans. And we end up neglecting that rock that is indeed higher than us. If that's you this morning, this psalm offers you a word of warning and a word of encouragement. The word of warning is a word of judgment. God will destroy the wicked. Look at verse 5 again. He will tear them down and build them up no more. We must not think that if we remain indifferent to God, that He will somehow remain indifferent to you. No, the wicked, those who disregard God, are on a collision course against God. You cannot live in His world, enjoying all His blessings, and think that you can just ignore Him. No, Psalm 50 verse 22, has bothered me and it should bother all of us. Mark this then you forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver you. If you're an unbeliever this morning, stop ignoring God. Stop being indifferent. If you're nominal here today, stop your independency. Turn to this God for refuge. But this psalm also has a word of encouragement and the word of, and that's a word of salvation. God will save His anointed. Look at verse 8 and 9. The Lord is the strength of His people. He's the saving refuge of His anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. See, as with Hannah's prayer and David's prayer, David here expresses a confidence in God that God will save His anointed. And in this context, the anointed isn't David. No, it's His people. It is His people which helps us because it helps us identify not only who His people are, but who God commits to save. And who are these anointed people? Who are these people that belong to God? Well, there are those under the rain and rule of God's anointed king, and realize this anointed king isn't David. No, David by far is a failure of a king. Far from preserving his people, he sins and costs them their life. Far from having a secure and a blessed kingdom, David king, David's kingdom falls and splits into and vanishes. See, if you're under the reign and rule of David, there is no hope. But if your hope is in one greater than David, if your hope is in the promised son of David, one who is greater than David, if you're under his reign and rule, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, then what tremendous hope you have. Remember, David in all his glory is but a shadow pointing to Christ. Christ indeed is the strength of the Lord. He has God come in the flesh to save us with his mighty arm. Christ indeed is the shepherd of God's people who who lays down his life for the sheep to secure their life. And Christ indeed is the safe refuge of his people. He carries them. He has promised that none will snatch them out of his hand. See, devote yourself to this devoted king. King Come under his rule. Be united to him and you will find the salvation that verse 8 and 9 promises. In fact, to sum up our time together, we could rightly say that Christ, the greater Son of David, is the clearest evidence that God hears and helps His people. He hears us wail away in our sin, in our wickedness, our affliction, and our despair. And He helps us by giving us a prophet, a priest, and a king. A prophet who gives us the truth, who declares us all righteousness. A priest who lays down his life, And a king who governs and guards his people. And beloved, to disregard this king is to destroy self. To come and become self-sufficient is to despise your shepherd. To live independently of him is to invite chaos. And so therefore, may we depend on our God, on His anointed, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has said that without me, you can do nothing. And so let's trust and look to Him. Let me close with this quote by Spurgeon. Self-sufficiency is Satan's net, where he casts men like poor silly fish and destroys them. Be not self-sufficient. Think yourself nothing, for you are nothing, and live by God's help. The way to grow strong in Christ is to become weak in yourself. God pours no power into man's heart, for man's power is all poured out. Live then daily a life of dependence on the grace of God. Do not set yourself up as if you want to be an independent gentleman. Do not start in your own start your own concerns as if you could do all things yourself. But live always trusting. In God. You have as much need to trust Him now as you ever had. For mark this, although you would have been damned without Christ at first, you will be damned without Christ now unless He keeps you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you that you remind us again in your word that in and of ourselves we are nothing. In and of ourselves we are weak and fallen and frail. And dear Lord, that even at times you allow us to go through that dark season of the soul where we sense our helplessness. All other trust, all other crutch has been removed and we are reminded that that you carry us, that you hold us, that you keep us. And we do ask you, Lord, that as we live in this world, we would live so daily depending upon you. Recognizing that without you, we are nothing. And so help us, we pray. Save us from our self-sufficiency, from our pride, from our own self-willed ideas of ourselves. And to help us to look to you, rather. To trust in your Son. To rely upon him as our rock and our refuge.